Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The uh, title of the talk is uh, I Just Can't Decide Why is Discernment in Daily Life? We've been talking the last few weeks about the capacity or tendency of the mind to get lost in thought and replay and replay, either stuck on the replay button or spinning our wheels and going around into uh, one thought leading to another, leading to another, that proliferation of thought. And anyone remember the the Pali word for it? Papancha, yeah. For those who are new, a great word, papancha. Pancha, one thought leading to more and more and more, the mushrooming of thoughts in the mind. And then uh, last week we talked about um, seeing the mind as vast space with thoughts just coming and going on their own. And if you can remember that perspective where the thoughts are just coming and going on their own and you see that they are as real as you believe them to be or as empty as you see them to be, uh, that makes all the difference in the world. As I I've mentioned here before, for those who haven't been here, one of my favorite instructions from uh, my teacher, Joseph Goldstein, who says, if you're bothered by your thoughts in the meditation hall, just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. Makes it so much easier. Not my problem that I have this obsessive, lustful, or rageful thought, Mm, just picked it up somewhere. It's almost like that because you don't invite them in. The thoughts just come and they go, as we talked about last week in the the Tibetan teachings of thoughts self-liberating. If you don't mess around with them, they have a very short lifespan. And then they're gone, just wisps. Happens a lot when you're trying to remember the thought. You ever notice that? You know, like, now let's see, I came into this room. What was I getting? What was I doing? Gone, you know. Or that phenomenon where something is really important and it's just on the tip of your tongue and you try so hard. Gone. Maybe sometimes it comes back, but the thoughts come and they go, and when they're here, they have so much power, unless you see how empty they are, and you see they're just coming and going 
in the vast space of mind. And when you can see that, then you have a choice of which thoughts to empower and give energy to, and um, a bit more of a choice to let them self-liberate. Just the mind doing its thing. However, as we all know, we live in this world and we need to um, figure things out or listen to what the next thing that feels right, um, where, what we should do. We are continuously needing to make choices throughout the whole day, from the time you wake up until the time you go to sleep, the day is one, one can say, continuous exercise in choice from what clothes will I wear today or um, what route should I take to this new place that I'm going to. Of course, it makes it a lot easier if you have a GPS these days. You don't even have to think, right? And even if you make a mistake, it reroutes you. Or what tasks should I do prioritizing my tasks? I've got 73 things to do, uh, of which only eight or nine are humanly possible to do. Um, what should I do? What's the, next, what's the most important thing to do? And then the next, and then the next. Um, what should I eat? You go into a restaurant or you open up the refrigerator. What should I eat? And I, I think of somebody uh, who I know when, when we go out to uh, a restaurant. Uh, my friend um, has the, just the darndest time, especially if it's a, a big menu and, uh, well, maybe I'll do this. And then uh, they often end up asking the, uh, the server, well, what's your favorite thing? And this happens almost every time I go out with this person. You know? and, and it reminded me, I don't know if you remember, maybe you took uh, English literature in high school. Uh, do you remember The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock? by T.S. Eliot, oh, that one really gets to me. And the line that has stuck in my mind for 50 years, do I dare eat a peach? Remember that line? This guy is completely overwhelmed in indecision and, and hasn't quite come into his power. <laughs> do I dare eat a peach? Do I dare taste life? But that's uh, a kind of uh, deeper level of this choice. What, do I, what should I get for lunch today? What do I do with my free time? You know, if you watch TV, you know, when I was growing up, there were three channels in New York, Channel 2, Channel 4, and Channel 7. ABC, CBS, and NBC. And even then it was kind of sometimes hard, you know, between Steve Allen or uh, 
whatever. Um, now, 200, 300, 400, actually 700, I think my, my, uh, my cable has, you know. Well, what should I watch anyway? Hmm. And about meditation practice. When you sit down on, on the cushion, well, what should I do now? Should I be with the breath? Do anapana? No, maybe I should just do mental noting of experience. Maybe I should uh, go to choiceless awareness. You know, maybe I should do some Dzogchen practice. Or, no, maybe just uh, Shikantaza Zen. Or Burmese. No, Thai. You know. <laughs> you know. It's complicated. Just this business of being here in the present there's a whole lot of ways to do it. And the Buddha said this in the Satipatthana Sutta. There's so many different ways to be mindful. One can be mindful of the breath and the body. One can be mindful of the mind and, um, or emotions. One can be mindful of the, the uh, flavor of experience. What do you do when you sit down? Mm. What should I do with my vacation? Where should I go? Finally, have a have some time off. Should I? Oh, just uh, go up to uh, the coast, or maybe to Yosemite, or maybe take an exotic trip somewhere if if it's possible to do, or maybe just take a real vacation and not go anywhere mm-hmm. and just relax. Mm-hmm. Which person to hang out with? I've got some free time. Who should I call? You know, all of these are just part of life. It's not that it's bad, obviously. It's nice that you have enough friends to choose from if you do. Oh, maybe I'll hang out with so-and-so or give this person a call. But it can get a little bit confusing and we can um, get a little overwhelmed and paralyzed with all of our choices, especially if they're important ones and we can't quite decide. How many people have a challenge deciding things? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, I'd like to speak with you later. With all of these, cho- particularly these days, with all of these choices that we have, if we're privileged enough, and not everybody is, if we're privileged enough to have choices of how many channels to watch or um, what to do with our free time, if we have free time, um, with all of these choices, Does that bring happiness? Does that make us happier? And in our culture, it's so, so much the message of more choices, more freedom, more freedom to choose, and therefore more freedom to choose, the happier we must be. 
first from um, the Buddha's standpoint, uh, more choices is certainly not a guarantee towards happiness. And he talked quite um, directly about the ease and freedom with come, that comes with simplifying and letting go of our different possible choices. And he spoke of this in terms of, um, the word is usually translated as renunciation. It doesn't sound like a fun word, does it? But renunciation, the joy of renunciation, he said is one of the great joys. And this is from a, a discourse uh, in Majima Nikaya, uh, number 19, where he says, um, and he was talking about before he was enlightened, he said, um, before my enlightenment, while I was still an unenlightened bodhisattva, bodhisattva, it occurred to me, suppose that I divide my thoughts into two classes. On one side, I set thoughts of sense desire, thoughts of ill will and thoughts of cruelty, and I set on the other side thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-ill will, loving kindness, and thoughts of non-cruelty, compassion. And he says, as I abided thus, diligent, ardent, and resolute, a thought of sensual desire arose in me, and I understood this, thus, this thought of sensual desire has arisen in me. This leads to my own affliction or to others' affliction and to the affliction of both. It obstructs wisdom, causes difficulties, and leads away from nibbana. And when I considered this, that this leads to my own affliction, it subsided in me. And when I considered it leads to others' affliction, and both, they subsided in me. And then he looked at the other side of that. So he's saying, basically, that wanting mind created some disturbance inside. And then he looked at the other side of thought, those, those thoughts, and he said, I saw in unwholesome states danger, degradation, and defilement, and in wholesome states the blessing of renunciation, the aspect of cleaning, And then, as I abided thus, I understood this thought of renunciation has arisen in me. This does not lead to my own affliction or to others' affliction or to the affliction of both. It aids in wisdom, does not cause difficulties, and leads to nibbana. If I think and ponder upon this thought, even for a night, even for a day, even for a night and day, I see nothing to fear from it. That is, if I am not caught up in my wanting thoughts, if I can let go and not need anything, there's a real peace. But then he says an interesting line, and I'll end the, the, uh, the passage here. He says, but, as he says, if I think and ponder upon this even for a night or a day or night and a day, I see nothing to fear from it. But with excessive thinking and pondering... 
even about the wholesomeness of renunciation, I might tire my body, and when my body is tired, the mind becomes disturbed, and when the mind is disturbed, it is far from concentration. So I steadied and quieted my mind so that my mind should not be disturbed. So he says, even a lot of thinking, too much thinking about wholesome stuff, you can get tired because it's just another kind of papancha. You know, oh yes, this is a wholesome thought. It really is. Or I like that. Oh, that's it. You can get kind of tired that way too. But you get the gist that he's saying the wanting mind is agitating and thought of renunciation, or another way to say that, simplifying our mind uh, leads to a sense of ease. <clears throat> this is from, I'll quote a, a nun, uh, Ajahn Sundara. She's one of the Amravati nuns. And she says, when we realize that getting what we want in the material world is unsatisfactory too, that's when we start to mature. We're not children anymore, hoping to find happiness by getting what we want or running away from pain. We live in a society that worships the gratification of desires, but many of us are not really interested in just gratifying desires because we know intuitively that this is not what human existence is about. Now, let's go from the, from the Buddha's words to very, very practical understanding of how all of these choices can affect us and why I was motivated initially to, to talk about this uh, was um, because I'm... I've been reading a book. Uh, it's not out just yet. I have the uh, the uh, galleys version because uh, my friend Christine Carter from Greater Good, who who wrote it, asked if I'd take a look at it and uh, say something, uh, write something about it. It's really a great book. It's a fun book called The Sweet Spot: How to Find Your Groove at Home and Work. And this is what she says about this plethora of choices. <clears throat> and she quotes this guy, Barry Schwartz, a psychologist who wrote The Paradox of Choice. What's that? TED it's a TED Talk. Oh, TED Talk too. Okay. Barry Schwartz, The Paradox of Choice. Um, The consequences of living in a culture that assumes that more choices are better than fewer. And the gist of what he said is um, having a lot of choice is a curse on our happiness. Schwartz divides the world into people who, in the face of their many choices, maximize, that is, have lots of choices and try to figure out the best, or those who satisfice, as he's coined the word, S-A-T-I-S-F-I-C-E, or accept the first available option that meets their criteria. 
a quote from, from the book. Maximizing is a form of perfectionism. We maximize by searching out all the best possible options when making a decision, hoping to make it make the perfect choice. When we satisfice, we choose something based on preset criteria and move on. Satisficing doesn't mean settling for something less than what we really want. It's just a different way to go about making a decision. Happy people tend to satisfice. Maximizing is very tempting for perfectionists, and it is associated with unhappiness and discontent. Maximizers actually tend to be less happy with the decisions they make when they finally make them. And here's... uh, Here's some further research. Uh, She quotes Dan Gilbert, who wrote this book, um, Stumbling on Happiness. He's a a Harvard professor, uh, where he talks about the unanticipated joy of being totally stuck. His research has found that people naturally prefer what they perceive themselves to be stuck with, and here's, there's two experiments that he did. Gilbert and his colleagues had college students rank their favorite Monet prints. And then he gave them the choice to take one home that they ranked three or four out of six. Fifteen days later, he asked the students to re-rank the prints and they of course, ranked the print they chose to take home much higher this time, and the one that they didn't choose much lower. This works even when research subjects have a serious amnesia disorder and literally can't remember which print they chose to own. And then there is this second research study. Check this out. In a second study, photography students were allowed to take home one of their two favorite photographs, but they had to give up the other to the class instructors. Students in one group make their choice, then immediately have to give up the photo they don't choose. Students in another group are allowed to change their minds about the choice they made and have several days to reverse their decision about which photo to keep. The students who must make their choice without the possibility of change later tend to be far happier with the photograph they chose when asked about it later. The other students, however, who are allowed to waffle about their decision and even change their mind if they want end up being far less happy with the choice that they do make. The brain naturally justifies its choices and actually creates positive sentiment about them, but only when it perceives that, the, that a choice is complete and can't be reversed. That's why Gilbert calls our, uh, that's what Gilbert calls our psychological immune system. Mm. So, 
<clears throat> this brings us to the dilemma and tendency that we have when we are caught in what I call the spin cycle in the mind or the metronome reality. Should I or shouldn't I? Should I or shouldn't I? And I said this uh, that last week, I, uh, a friend of mine who had two uh, two choices, or she was, uh, he was applying for, uh, for a position, but it entailed traveling to San Francisco. And either way, it was like, well, if I get it, then I'm going to have to do that traveling. If I don't get it, I'm going to be rejected. And either way, he was going to lose. Um, so, there's no winning in, in that one. <clears throat> so how to work with this, this papantra, this ruminating, this trying to figure out what the best choice is. And Christine Carter uh, comes up with the same instruction that I heard from uh, the Tibetan master Trungpa Rinpoche 40 years ago, which has been hugely helpful in my own mind. Are you ready for it? First thought, best thought. Which is pretty much what she says. First thought, best thought. Now, she does make the the point of first getting clear on if there's a decision to be made, given all the information, is there anything that matches your criteria? And if so, go for it and don't look back. When it's not a decision, or when you don't have enough information yet to know your criteria, um, or to, to see if there's something out there, then to just begin to listen to what is coming through your mind and your heart in any moment has saved me so much hassle in my mind over these years. And I share it with you. I'll share with you actually a story that I I put in, uh, in Awakening Joy I've mentioned it uh, perhaps here before, but it's worth uh, sharing again. Uh, I first heard that that wisdom um, that was like in yeah nineteen seventy four seventy five but then I was faced with a major decision in my life in uh, a couple of years later in nineteen seventy seven when uh, I had been teaching for teaching elementary school for about 10 years in New York. And I, I loved it for many of those years, but towards the end, it was starting to get, I didn't have the inspiration. And when you don't have inspiration for teaching, um, it, it goes, the, the joy goes very quickly uh, because... 
you have to have the energy for it. And if you do, it's fantastic. Who are, who are teachers here? Any teachers? Look around. These are the most important, I think, profession in our society. Thank you. So there I was teaching fifth grade and sixth grade in, in New York, but I didn't want to leave my job, even though it was starting to get a little old, because uh, I had job security and I was making $17,000 a year, which was big money for me at that time all by myself. Um, big enough, anyway. And, um, but I, I just felt it was time, my time to go. And I had, the Dharma hook had gotten into my heart and I was really um, looking for other things in my life. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go up to the meditation center in Massachusetts where I had sat a three-month course uh, that previous year. It had just opened up and maybe I'll work there on staff. Uh, Or maybe I'll move out to California uh, because some friends had written to me and it seemed like I was ready for greener pastures. Um, and this looked a lot greener than the streets of New York. Um, or maybe I'd finally take my trip to Asia and have my Asian experience. They all seemed like very logical, good choices. And I went around and around and around in my mind wondering what the right choice would be. And I, uh, I couldn't come up with an answer. And finally, uh, I went to uh, a very wise man as I went out to Colorado each, each summer for Naropa and listening to Trungpa and studying with Joseph uh, Goldstein and, and our, our community. And uh, there was a very wise man in Denver who I went to from time to time for some, um, some wisdom and support, whose name was Reverend Miller. He was a psychic. He looked like um, Colonel Sanders. Big belly and a, a kind of, uh, you know, Colonel Sanders beard and mustache. $5 a reading. <clears throat> he wasn't in it for the money. And he had been very, very helpful for me uh, in a number of, a number of instances. And I, um, I said to him, I presented him all the, the options, and I said, look, I, I don't want to blow it here. Uh, what, what should I do? And um, he looked at me and he said, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Oh, God. Maybe I blew my five dollars. Yeah. <laughs> but I will tell you one thing. It doesn't matter. I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? That's my life you're talking about. I was a little bit annoyed. You know? And then he went on to say, and he believed in spirit guides and, and devas and things that, like that, energies that can help you. He said, if you're frozen in indecision, then your guides can't help you. You're stuck. But if 
you put yourself in motion, then your guides and life can support you and help you. And you'll take one, you'll take one option and you'll start moving in that direction and it might be clear, oh yeah, this is just right. Or it might not be clear, or it might be clear that it's not the right one, and you say, okay, I've checked that one off, time to take, try the, the other option. Or you'll start putting yourself in motion, and something will open up that you could never have imagined. So that's why I say to you, it doesn't really matter using whatever information you have at the moment, take your next step and put yourself in motion and see what life is offering you. Best $5 I ever spent. (laughs) And that, coupled with first thought, best thought, has been a, a really valuable principle for me. Now, it's not to say I don't have indecision, but um, when I, uh, or that I can make a decision right away, because sometimes um, there's some sorting out to do. But even then, what I find helpful and what I often suggest that people do is to just sit with it and not try to figure out the right answer. Because in the figuring out or trying to figure out the mind gets contracted. And when it gets contracted, there's no way for the wisdom to be accessed. When wisdom arises, it's because the mind is spacious enough to hear the heart that says, yeah, this feels right. Or no, this doesn't feel right. And so a big part of it is learning to just listen rather than figure. And when I sit, if I sit there long enough and I just let the metronome play out, after a while, the needle, I've just switched metaphors, is going to uh, end up slightly on more one side than another. Sometimes I'll play the different scenarios in my mind and in my heart and just see which ones I feel contracted and which ones are enlivening, even if my rational mind doesn't know why. If I sit there long enough, hmm, this feels right. But generally, without those big decisions that have to be made, Throughout the day, all these other smaller ones, first thought, best thought. Because it's very rare that you say, hmm, I ordered the, the mousse, I should have had the fruit parfait. You know? Well, that's very rare anyway. But it's rare, very rare, even if you say, oh, I ordered the fruit and I should have had the mousse. Once it's gone, it's gone. Have you seen that? And how many mind moments we spend trying to sort out and not blow our life. It's extra. First thought, best thought. 
This is from somebody who is on, on her first retreat where she was going around and around, lost in papancha, trying to figure everything out and kept on reminding her, you don't have to figure it out. That's another axiom of mine. You don't have to figure it out. And finally, she wrote me this note at the very end. The one thing that's indelibly in my brain is finally getting, you don't have to figure it out. That would never have registered as an option before. Just today, when I was doing walking meditation, struggling as my thoughts were going round and round, those words came into my mind. I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself, and I resumed my walking. What a revelation. So that letting go of figuring out is a first step. And then listening, listening inside. The truth is, at least your truth, is right in here if you can listen with enough sensitivity. That's often what I think of as, um, as all of Dharma practice, learning to listen more and more. I mentioned before, I love the, um, the, the, the figure of Milarepa in the Tibetan Tankas. Milarepa, you can always tell it's Milarepa. He's the one who has his hand to his ear, listening to the 100,000 songs of the Dharma. And that's what we're doing here. We're learning to listen in every moment what's true right now. Oh, here's a breath in and out. And here's a sound. And here's an emotion. And here's the breath. And here's the thought. This is what's true right now. And the more you learn to get good at listening to your actual experience right now, you also get better and better at listening to the deep wisdom that's right inside. You know it when you feel it, don't you? It's not coming in with a finger wagging saying, you better not blow it. It's not coming in with an agitated, oh my goodness, um, what should I do? It's coming from a place that says, this just feels right. And more and more, even if you don't have enough, often we don't have enough information to know what it's going to be like in a week or two months or whatever, but we can have enough information to know what it feels like right now in our hearts. And learning to listen carefully enough, not to somebody else, but just inside, we can feel and have access to that that wisdom. And then one further piece that I'll mention. Once you've made the decision, noticing and not being swept up by the second guesser. Oh, but what if? Don't do that. It's going to drive you crazy. 
and actually to see, of course, if there is new information that comes and you say, well, no, okay, I need to change course, that's one thing. But the second guess without any new information, that's crazy making. But then the beauty of practice is finally being content and okay with what you have. Because we get swept away in our choices and thinking, oh yeah, that does look better or that's better. And this is falling into the trap of our culture that is set up to seduce us. This is the from a P.A. Paiuto, a Buddhist economist, scholar, monk, who talks about the Buddhist principle of matanuta, moderation, knowing the amount that's just right, and this is how he puts it, an awareness of that optimum point where the enhancement of true well-being coincides with the experience of satisfaction. Consumption balanced by an amount appropriate with well-being rather than to the satisfaction of endless desires. In contrast to maximum consumption leading to more satisfaction, we have moderate or wise consumption leading to well-being. So that's in the, in the sense of enough is enough. This is enough. This is good enough. Which is just a, a corollary to contentment or a yatabuta, that things are as they are, and this is okay. I can relate to this as what the Dharma is offering me in this moment. Oh, can I, as a monk who goes out or a nun with a begging bowl each, each morning, just accept what's, what life is putting in my bowl and be grateful for it and appreciate it and out of that gratitude feel a fullness and an abundance. And I was, I was thinking about uh, one of my favorite books, uh, Siddhartha, probably many of you have read Siddhartha. His power, do you remember what he said? Anybody remember? I can think, I can wait, and I can fast. That was all he needed to get him through life. It was really, it's a beautiful book. I can think, I can wait, and I can fast. That you don't need a whole lot, really. Some of the happiest people I know just have a begging bowl and robe and a roof over their head and, and medicine. You don't need so much. And to feel content with what you have, ah, this is where the real happiness comes. So let me just uh, ask you, and we'll, we'll open up to a conversation in, in a moment. Just go inside. You know, and... Uh, Make this relevant to your life. And you might think about 
when for you your mind gets caught in not an indecision. It might be about what you do with your time. It might be about what you, who you hang out with. It might be about what your next project is. And as you do this, open to your experience with great kindness. No judgment here. We're just looking at the mind. And what would it be like if you just listened inside without Papancha, but just listen to the best truth in this moment and went ahead and took the next step like Reverend Miller and trusted in life. And were willing to be open to see how life unfolds. No failing, life becomes an adventure. And you might, this next week, Just play around with listening inside, perhaps using first thought, best thought, but realizing you can't blow it. You're just showing up for life. So let's uh, let's check in for a few minutes we have left and see if anything that comes up from that topic, questions or uh, comments. Oh, thanks, Andrew. And put it right next to your... I'm a new guy here. On a, I want to thank, on a, now on, that's it. Yeah, that's I want to thank the universe for me being here. Uh-huh. Uh, last Thursday, about three o'clock in the afternoon, I had to make a couple of decisions. One decision was to go home, uh-huh. to go home and uh-huh. rest, uh-huh. or we'll go to the hospital. Mm. And the decision came to go to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, I came there with a massive heart attack. Wow. And uh, as I was told that I had a few hours to leave. And um, <clears throat> I had a 
three stents installed in my arteries. I was on a pump to keep my heart going while they were doing the surgery. And uh, I enjoy your talk about making decisions. Was, was <laughs> decision. If I would have went home. When I was this? this? Last Thursday. Last Thursday. Last Thursday. Wow, you're, in, you're still alive. I'm still alive and I'm here. <laughs> my, wife, my wife brought me here today. She's been coming here for a while. Um, I was dead for a few times last Thursday. Wow. And um, I had a decision was, if I made a decision to go home, I would have died on my couch. Uh -huh. So what made you... What made you go to the hospital? I did not feel any pain or anything. I had no thoughts of heart attacks. I was actually hanging out with some clients. I'm in the construction business. And uh, having a heart attack while signing a contract. And um, we were supposed to go on vacation tomorrow, so I called my wife about some other things. And one of the things I said to her, you know, I don't feel well. So she said, well, go to the hospital. <laughs> That's about listening. I said, well... I don't have anybody to drive, and I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. I'll just go home and rest. So uh, <clears throat> I got in my truck and didn't know where I was going. The truck just I drove, and <laughs> got next thing I know, I'm in John Muir emergency room, and and they're laughing at me because I didn't. I drove around the parking lot a little bit to find the parking space, and I have a huge truck, and then I backed <laughs> it into a spot to not to park illegally. And I got into the emergency room, and uh, there was people there. You know, I've been in the emergency room a couple of times on different issues, and, you know, you wait forever there. And, and she said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I'm having a heart attack. She said, well, okay, okay. Just wait in the, long, in the waiting room. We'll get to you. <laughs> so I got a little loud and used some foul language, uh -huh. and a security guard came over. I said, what's up? I said, hey, I'm having a heart attack. Oh. That's what I felt. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any pain. I just said, well, I had all the symptoms of what's a heart attack. Means, you know, pressure in the chest, mouth drooling, uh, you know, my jaw was all tight and stuff, and, and um, got me into the emergency room, and then next thing they do, they put an EKG, and next thing these guys look at each other and say, Mr. Viano, you're having a major heart attack. Wow. And then the place turned like a war zone. Next thing I know, I'm inside, the, you know, and I remember screaming because I started a procedure without any anesthesia. I had no time. <laughs> wow. I had this big defibrillator on my chest and they were pumping my heart. And, and uh, wow. I'm here. I'm here. It's, no. It did not have to, did not have to do an open heart. And the miracle thing was, at John Muir Trauma Center, there's a new device today. It's a mini pump that they put into your artery to keep the heart going while they're working on your getting the blockage. I was totally blocked. It was like no blood flow. And by the time my wife got to the hospital, that's my wife here. Let mm. me come in here. Mm. And. Um, I survived it, and within 12 hours, I got beautiful heart pores, and, and everything was gone, and I got home yesterday, and, and um, I'm here. 
one of, of mind or body contraction, obvious contraction. That's what I'm talking about. Just trust what's coming up and make, make it a lot simpler on yourself. Yeah, you don't want to be operating from, from repulsion. Yeah, thank you. And, and actually, in Christine's book, uh, The Sweet Spot, she has a, um, a, a formula, how to satisfy instead of maximize. Outline your criteria for success and see if there are objective si- signs that something uh, could tell you if it, if, it's, if it would work for you or if it's good enough, if there's, way, if there's criteria that you can come up with, choose the first option that meets your criteria. And once the decision is made or the job is, is done, uh, no second guessing. Focus on the positive aspects of the choice or accomplishment. Ah, and feel good about what's here. So uh, we'll just close with a brief loving kindness. Feel the support of like-minded friends and appreciate that you chose to come here and sit and be in... (laughs) and sit in uh, community, (laughs) whatever the community has coming out of it. it. (laughs) We're still glad you're here. (laughs) (laughs) and uh, just send some kind thoughts towards yourself towards everybody here and towards all beings everywhere may all see through their confusion and listen to the truth inside may all be free from suffering and know the highest happiness and may we share any good that comes from being here together with all beings everywhere, may all find highest happiness and peace. Thank you very much. Have a great week. See you next week.